Well, good morning. Thank you. I would have walked into that in just a couple of minutes, and they would have loved it, but it wouldn't have been good at all. And Diane and I are glad that we can be here with you today. And uh, some of you guys know the school pretty well, I imagine, and for the rest of you, I want to do a little intro to it. You know, colleges were originally designed to serve our culture. If you're in higher education, you would know that. But we're, colleges are designed in general to help prepare good citizens for our country, which is why they're structured the way they are. And the special edition that we have at Clark Summit University is that we are working to provide a biblically saturated education. Now, if you've been to college, you recognize that college educations come in three pieces that are then glued together into a degree. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, in America, about a third of your college education is what you call general studies. Uh, now, that's unique to America. You go overseas, and college is a year shorter, and uh, they don't have that, that capacity to learn how to think and read and see things in a larger context. And then you've got piece two is your major, and then piece three is whatever else you want to do. At Clark Summit University, with a biblically saturated education, we require all of our students on the undergrad side to be dual majors. We say to our students, one of the majors you have is going to be biblical studies. And then the second major could be any one of 36 different things that that's, uh, go all the way from soup to nuts, uh, you know, starting with traditional pastoral training or missions training, all the way through pre-athletic training, education, counseling, business administration, just go on and on like that. And we, what we found is that taking that major with the biblical major creates someone who's uniquely skilled in being able to process truth and make a contribution to whatever ministry God calls them into. And there I'm using the word ministry in the biblical sense. Because when you and I help people to know and grow in Jesus Christ, then we are in fact ministering. So a biblically saturated education, but it doesn't happen by accident. Uh, we have highly qualified mentors on faculty and staff, and mentor is just a 2000s word for somebody who cares enough about you to say, hey, wait a minute, you need to think that through. Uh, wait a minute, here's how you could do that. Because we want our graduates to enter a variety of ministries and careers that honor Jesus Christ. And uh, they step from our school into those ministries and careers, and they're in all 50 states, uh, 70 countries around the world, they're doing all kinds of things. Some of our business grad, our education grad, our counseling grads, our athletic grads, they are all over the world doing some very cool things. And uh, we're grateful for that. Part of what our school does in serving a church like yours, two miles up the road, or two hours up the road, I should say, uh, is we offer a variety of summer ministries. And uh, you may be able to be in touch with those. Um, Diane is the director of our Life Women's Conference and we've been doing this conference for 35 years, an extraordinary, done the same conference done twice on the first two weekends in June. And uh, it's great fellowship, it's great teaching, it's by women for women. And I sneak in the back and I enjoy it a lot uh, while I'm there too. Uh, we also have our sports camps, basketball, men's and women's, teen leadership conference, soccer, and our teen leadership conference coming up on 50 years of helping young people who would say, I'd like to lead for God spend a week together, great fellowship, great music, great opportunities, and they, they enjoy each other well. Well, I can stop talking about that if you will agree to pick up one of these. Uh, we're set up out here in, on this side, and you know, whenever we come to a church, you, know, you try to catch what the dynamics are in the church. You know? I mean, we sit near the front because there's 
less likely to cause anger when you do that. Because I recognize, I was a pastor in Africa for 14 years, I recognize that each of you has an assigned seat that you have chosen. Okay? And in fact, that's how the pastor takes attendance, if you didn't know that. Uh, you have an assigned seat you've chosen. So you know, if we plant ourselves right in the back in the middle, it just messes the whole church up. Okay? Well, so I'm not sure what the flow is getting out of here. Uh, but this Summit magazine would tell you how if you were in high school, junior or senior, you could get into our dual enrollment program that would allow you to build college credits, transferable any place you may want to go. They could become free if you come to us afterwards uh, as part before you go to college. Uh, if you have never quite finished a degree, uh, as we've added degrees, everything changes. If you're a servant, you change. Uh, everything changes, and we have added a number of online offerings for folks who didn't quite finish the bachelor's degree or who want to add a master of arts, uh, master of education, a master's in counseling, our seminary that has the whole gamut of stuff up through the doctorate because we want to serve God's church. So anyway, uh, we're glad that we could be here with you today. If you take off this way, if that's not your usual flow, and pick up one of these, then we can get to the text. If I were to, uh, let's show, show the next slide here. Those of you who've been around here for a while, to the amazement of those who are visitors, can you tell me what Bible book I must be speaking from this morning, if that's the verse? Must be in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's that fascinating little phrase he's got there where he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, and to him is God. It, it kind of sticks in your mind. It makes you think that if without faith it's impossible to please him, that if only you and I exercise faith, then it must be possible to please him. And in fact, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm hoping that by the time you leave here this morning, that you will be confirmed in your capacity to know exactly what faith is. Because I think that faith is the thing that's going to correct, design, direct, and control every single choice we have. Now, let me tell you what I think faith isn't. I want you to think about this with me. Faith is not hoping that God will do what he could do. Now, you're here this morning, and, and I, I can't tap the reason why you're here, but, but you're here this morning, I know, because you want to have God at work in your life. And you may not know much about that yet. You may not know the, the who's and why's and where's, but you, you, want, you want God to be evident in your life. You have come to the uh, end of your rope more than once. You needed somebody who was uh, smarter, bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, uh, all that. You realized you couldn't pull it off. And so there's God, the God who made the universe, the God who loves, the God who cares, uh, the God who has designed for our life. And then we come at this, we say, man, I, I can't fix this thing. But maybe God could. And, and we know we're supposed to believe. We're supposed to exercise faith. We're supposed to trust and so we take something, and you know, we're, I'm not talking about the stupid little things that along. I wish, you know, I, I, have, I believe God will give me a gold-plated Mercedes. Well, you know, could God do that? Well, sure. It's not a matter of capacity. It's more a matter of purpose. But I'm talking about when you get down to the stuff that really matters to you. I mean, you're having problems in your marriage. You're having problems in your job. You're having problems with your health. And you know that you are not big enough, fast enough, strong enough to, to fix this. And you go to God, and you've got the idea. And you say, Lord, here's what I want. 
and I believe you can do it. So, nothing happens. You think, well, maybe, uh, maybe I just didn't believe enough, you know, and you, you know, put another set of batteries in so they're fresh, and you crank up your old believing machine. You say, I, I didn't just believe, I, I, I believe. I really, really believe. Sweat a little bit while you're doing it, you know, veins bulge. Say, man, why wouldn't God do this? See, the scripture never teaches us that faith means I think of something and I pawn off the execution of that with God. You think about it, that would leave me in charge of the universe, wouldn't it? I mean, if I could decide what needed to happen and then tell God to do it, and because I wanted it, he'd had to do it, that put me in charge of the universe. Um, Diane's been married to me for over 40 years. She could tell you that would not be a good universe. Okay? You'd experience it quickly, but this would not be a good universe. So if faith is not hoping that God will do what he could do, then what is it? This is what I want you to see this morning for the text. That faith is living as though God will do what he says. The faith drives us into the word of God, the Bible, and allows us to, what do you say, Lord? When a believer's in this kind of a situation, what should a believer do? And then living as though God will do what he says. It's not that I control the universe. I trust God to control the universe. And I organize my life and my actions around the truth of God's word. Faith is living as though God will do what he says. And so this morning, what I want to do is walk you through an instance where some folks did that. Let's look at the text. I'm sorry, let's go back one slide. You're better than I was. Faith is going to clarify every choice. Faith clarifies every choice. And now the text. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. You see we're in verse 23. And if you look at where I've got the boxes and the highlighting here, I put a box around the verbs, around the actions, uh, around the faiths. Okay? What, what was happening when people were living as though God was going to do what he said? And what I want you to see as we go down through here is these are a series of very ordinary choices, and you may want to read the rest of Hebrews 11 this afternoon and see what the rest of them are in here, about people like you and me. Now, we're going to start out with Moses' parents. You see, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Let me, let me set this whole thing up for a minute and talk to you about this. We are 3,500 years in the past when we read about this historical event right here. We are living in the land where there was of the only superpower in the world in around 15, 1600 B.C., only one superpower in the world, and it was Egypt. Now, we lived in Africa for 14 years. We lived down at the bottom of Africa, and we lived in the strongest, healthiest economy in Africa, down in South Africa. And Egypt is not a not a strong country. It's hard to think about the fact they could have been the superpower, but they were. Years before, God had spoken to a, a happy idolater living over what we call Babylon and said to him, if you will trust in me, 
I'll give you a land that I'm going to show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless the whole world through you. And Abraham said, I'll trust you. And as the years roll by, and we call that Genesis, okay? As the years roll by, we saw Abraham's life developing. And Abraham had a son, Isaac, and he received the promise that God gave to Abraham. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob received that same promise. And Jacob had 12 sons. And as life happened, one of those 12 sons wound up living in Egypt. His name was Joseph. You think you've got problems at home? You read from Genesis chapter 37. Those are problems at home. God used him greatly and worked out a way for him to bring his family down where they'd be safe and well-fed in Egypt. It was great until there arose a king in Egypt who could not quite remember Joseph. And he looked at those people and said, labor force. And he made the family of Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He made them into a, a forced labor army. And eventually, because the world was no different back then than it is now, they began to become frightened of the foreigners. Xenophobia, the fear of strangers, is, is nothing unusual. It's in our country. And so they decided, well, you know, man, there's, there's thousands of them. There's, there's millions of them. If these guys ever got a hold of the key to the gun chest, they could do us in. And so they passed a law. We call it genocide. They passed a law. If a Hebrew woman has a boy child, then the boy must be killed, drowned in the Nile. That's when Moses was born. And during that time, when Moses was to have been taken down to the Nile River and drowned, Moses' parents hid him for three months. I don't know what the law was. I don't know how it was written up, but evidently there's three months in there that they could do as they wanted to. Uh, must have been a lot of things the law didn't say. I mean, they, you remember, they did put him in the Nile River, right? They put him in a basket that had been tarred up like a boat. Okay, he's in the Nile. Law must not have said who you could put him in the Nile River with because they put his big sister Miriam right in the river next to him. Must not have said where you put him in the river because they put him just upstream from where Pharaoh's daughter would come down in the morning. You know, they worship the Nile. They'd come down in the morning. She'd do her, her daily ablutions there. And so they did all of that. And then when she came down, big sister Miriam just... and let it float downstream. And then God did something that only God could do. When she had one of her servants, Pharaoh's daughter, one of her servants get that basket and flipped open the lid and Moses cried... God opened her heart. Who would have thought that Moses would have spent the next 40 years living in Pharaoh's house? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells us that he was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was a man of power in words and deeds. For those of you whose memories can go back far enough to the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, probably looked like him. A man of power in words and deeds. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then by faith, it says, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God 
than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's talk about that. Because when we look at faith, we've got to figure out whether faith means that we seek status or seek the role that God has for us. By faith, when Moses was grown up, it says, he refused. That was faith. If God told my great-great-great-grandfather Abraham that he was going to bring the people out of Egypt after 400 years, which he did, then me living in the palace means I'm living in the wrong place. I need to get out of the palace and go out there with God's people because God has plans for those people. Um, do you ever follow the English royalty? I'm sure you don't. So that the uh, Charles, who may never get to be king because his mother won't die. Okay? Okay? Charles has two sons, right? And over in British parlance, they call that an heir and a spare. Okay? Uh, the, the older son's name, William with the good-looking wife, whose name is Kate. Yeah, okay. And then there's the next one down whose name is Harry, who doesn't have a good-looking wife. He's got an American girlfriend. Now, Harry probably won't ever get to be king of England. I mean, Moses was a Hebrew. He never would have been the Pharaoh of Egypt. Harry will probably never get to be the king of England, but you know what? Harry's got a pretty good life. The houses, the cars, the travel, I mean, it's a pretty good life, right? But Moses refused to keep the status. I'm the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And instead said, I fit in what God is doing. In fact, it says here that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I believe that for some of you here this morning, that God may be dealing with you about this very element of faith. I mean, we all work hard to be who we are and present ourselves well. And you guys, you look okay. You came to church, it worked out just fine. Okay, we, we try and work on that, but who am I? Well, a number of years ago, uh, I'd grown up in church. I was in high school, I'd grown up in church. I was immersed in a church when I was nine years old. I made what that church called the good confession. I said, Jesus is Lord, and down I went and up I came. Didn't understand a thing of it. Found out later the reason they were doing that was so I could go to heaven. They thought if I was baptized, I'd go to heaven. I started reading the Bible and thought, oh, that's not in there. And I was, went to a, a church just like this. And I was hearing how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And he sent his son. His son died on the cross, spent the three days in the tomb, rose to new life as a proof of what God is doing through him, and that he was the one who'd be in my place. I mean, the thing that distanced me from God, my sins, he'd take them. And the thing that I needed to be close to God, righteousness, he'd give me. I just had to receive that. What am I going to do about that? Well, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, 
And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought that's peculiar because I had said, Lord, Lord. And I read the rest of the verse. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, oh, I've got to receive Christ as my Savior. Seek status or seek my role. Since he has saved me, he has plans for me. A design for me to help others know Christ and grow in him. More and better disciples, right? Know Christ and grow in him. And some of you guys may be here at the point where you're trying to figure out what your next step is. Moses says, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I choose to be mistreated with the people of God. That's faith. That's earthy. Changes your job. Changes your salary. Changes your companions. Changes the house you buy. Changes all the whys in your life. Faith clarifies every choice. Back in 1932... Five people made a faith choice. What you have there on the right is the first dean of what was then called Baptist Bible Seminary. It was only a three-year school. You have three women who taught nearly all the classes and a local pastor there on the left. 1932. You were three years into what, 1932? Three years into the Great Depression, right? What a ridiculous time to start a school. You're not going to make any money on this. But they believed that if the world was going to know God, that someone was going to have to teach the truth of the Word of God in a way that would inspire people to go and do more for Him. And so they went ahead and did that. They started the school that's nowadays Clark Summit University. Back in our early days of the school, we were, we were 14 years at the school and then 14 years as missionaries in Africa, and now we've been back at the school again. During those early days, we would go up to southern New York, which is where our school started, and I would go to a, a little church, and the pastor was one of our grads. So was his wife. She taught in the local schools. The chairman of his deacon board who worked for IBM was one of our grads. His wife, the local librarian, she was also one of our grads. And I began to see if someone knows the word of God, what God could do with them. Now, by that time, Dr. Bancroft, Ms. Thompson, Ms. Vibber, Ms. Fletcher, Pastor Arthur, they were all gone. They were with the Lord. But I was so thankful that they didn't seek status. They saw their role in God's plan, and it was hard. See, faith, refusing, choosing. Let's go on. It says here that he chose to be mistreated in verse 25 rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Faith takes us the next step. Am I thinking long-term or short-term? Long-term or short-term? See, what Moses was doing here was making the long-term choice, even though it wound up with things that weren't always pleasant. I find that nearly invariably, short-term thinking is self-centered. Doesn't fear sin. Okay, Choose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Um, 
long-term thinking brought Moses into fellowship with God's people. One of the fun things about being a church is growing together over the long haul. Because the fellowship of God's people is something you and I really have to work at to accomplish something great that our town will look at and say, I want to see what they got. They, they are definitely a group that's working together for a good purpose. See, long-term thinking, according to what it says here, exalts Christ. Okay? Reproach of Christ, he says, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. If I get reproached for Christ's sake, if people mock me, if people belittle me because I'm following Christ, <laughs> that's better than Egypt. Anything Egypt can offer me. See, it's valuing true rewards. Long-term is hard. Long-term is hard. Short-term, impulse, that's easy. Problem is the short-term ordinarily is not faith. It's the long-term choice that's the choice of faith. It's the investment choice that's the choice of faith. See, we don't know exactly what God is going to do or how God is going to do it. But we know what he will do what he values. If he sent his son to die for the world, if he brought you to a knowledge and awareness of what his son had done for you, if he gave you his word, his indwelling Holy Spirit, his church, it's because he has plans for the long term for you. And Moses made the long term choice. When we were once down at the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And they've got a, a great Egypt exhibit there. And I was walking through it and seeing what was there. And there was a spot where they, it basically was a bedroom set, you know, where, where a, a woman would sit and, and put on her makeup. You know, the Egyptians invented eye makeup uh, with, you know, it's, it's hot, dry down there, and, and flies will come to your eyes. And so they invented this goop that you could put on top of your eyes that would keep the flies away. They colored it. Okay, some of you came in here this morning with stuff on your eyes to get rid of the flies, or, or maybe not. But, you know, and you know, they had the jars there for that, and, and there was a, a bronze mirror that, that the woman could have looked into, and it was kind of you know, cool setup. And when I stepped back and looked at the, at the sign, it said, these are artifacts from the palace of Princess Hatshepsut. Wait a minute. The woman who pulled Moses out of the Nile, Hatshepsut. I wanted to climb over the little fence they had there. I thought, man, he might have sat. Moses might have sat right there. He might have picked up that mirror and looked at his own face in that. He might, how cool is this? I didn't want to start a jail ministry, so I didn't do it. But you know, this really happened. This really happened. There really was a guy who had it all and said, this is short term. I'm going for the long term if that honors God. Let me show you a finance statement from our school. Oh, no, we'll do this first. That's a better one. They, they started a school in a church, okay? Started a school in church, which makes it a little more challenging. Did we jump a slide there or are my slides out of order? Go ahead, let me see the next one. That's a nice slide, too. That's our present campus. Um, hmm. 
we should check that later. That's what I was looking for right there. You're doing a great job as, I, as I'm kind of white caning my way through this. I, I really appreciate your willingness. You know, fortunately, if I had a remote control up here, I'd have no one to blame you know, but me on this. And evidently, I'm the guy to blame anyway. Take, take a look. This is the first fiscal year statement. We're talking about short-term, long-term. Look what the wages were. 2000 bucks for the dean, Great Depression. Uh, 1200 bucks each for those three women faculty members the pastor served for free. Total the whole thing up. There's your budget, $3,600 a year. Look at what they got paid. $967 amount paid faculty first year. Divide that by four. Now, listen, I know it's 1932. I know it's the Great Depression, but it's still not very much money. Say, were they crazy? No, faithful. Very faithful. Let's go back to the text. Okay, so we're working our way down through here. And we're seeing that Moses, it says... By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the anger of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses left Egypt twice. First time, he was all full of himself. Hey, I'm the only guy with the education. I'm the only guy with the leadership skills. God's going to take these people out of here. I must be the leader. And he walks out, and he sees some Egyptian abusing a Hebrew and commits murder, which is always wrong, buries the guy. I'm the leader. Well, the word gets back to his stepbrother or whatever, the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, really? I'm going to find you and kill you. He left in fear. Thought his life was over. Spent 40 years, he, he working for a guy as a shepherd. He married the guy's daughter, had a couple of kids, and he figured life was over until one day he was out there and there was a bush that was burning and wasn't consumed. Two weird things. Heard the voice of God there saying, I want you to go down to Egypt and free the people, and God used him with 10 learning lessons, we call them 10 plagues, 10 learning lessons to free the, the people of Israel. He left Egypt. The census had 600,000 men. Okay, so if you assume they're married, if they had kids, I mean, you, you get up to like two and a half, three million people without trying very hard. So there he is. He leaves. He's got no governmental structure. He's got no military they were organized in tribes, had a little bit of organization, but really no government, you know, no, no structure like that. Uh, he's got no food, he's got no water, he's got two and a half million people. I'm like, what could go wrong? And it did. Okay, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The capacity that we have to know God, Peter says, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us. That we know God because of what he's revealed to us. And we grow. Next slide. We're going to fear men or follow God. And there's your faith choice. Fear men or follow God. Next slide. The last verse says that by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might touch them. If you came in here this morning and uh, you had some kind of sickness and I told you, hey, we're all going to stand up on our chairs and we're going to flap our arms and we're going to squawk like a chicken. And if we do that, we won't be sick anymore. I don't think there's anyone here crazy enough to do that. Let me try this one on you. Tonight, there's an angel coming through town 
that will kill the firstborn in every house here in Elizabethtown. Doesn't have to be like that in your house. You got to go to the backyard, find a one-year-old lamb, kill the lamb, catch the blood in a bowl, go out and find a particular kind of bush, a hyssop bush. And then you put blood on top of your door and on the sides. If you do that, the angel won't kill anybody in your house tonight. You say, oh yeah, I heard that story. No, no, no. I want you to do this at home this afternoon with your neighbors. Right? Okay? If there you are standing out there. And your neighbor walks by. You uh, paint in the door? Not exactly. Where'd you buy that paint? That stuff's running down the door. Man, that's not so good. It smells like blood. Why are you beating your door with a bloody bush? Oh, it's because tonight there'll be a death angel come through. I mean, your neighbor's going to walk around the corner and call 911. And you're going to spend the afternoon like this, you know, in a coat that has a sleeve that tie in the back. Except that God had said, I will send the angel. Except God had said, make the sacrifice, apply the blood. Except God had said. See, that was the difference between a religious activity and faith. Next slide. Am I going to go by my experiences? Or am I going to go by God's word? My experiences limit everything about me. My experience is the boundaries of my world apart from faith. But God's word is going to say, living by faith, break with your past. Don't do that anymore. You do this instead. It's going to stretch our thinking. It's going to give us hope for the future. I mean, the best we can do is to extrapolate forward from what we know. And we don't know God nearly as well as we know this world, which is why sometimes, even as a group, we wind up in the wrong spot. Next slide. See, a life that delights God is a life of faith. And in a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song, and life will go on. But I wonder if God has brought you here this morning because there is some step of, oh, Lord, if you've said that, that clarifies the choice I'm about to make, living by faith. I wonder if God's calling you to make a faith choice right now. Uh, If we could help you with that, we would be delighted to. Because it's a life that delights God. It's a life of faith. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for making it possible for us to know you through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for the good folks in this church, and I would ask that you would build your church here, that you would grace and strengthen them to do what's right. Some of them may have walked in here with heavier burdens than they ever dreamed they could have borne. And I would ask that you would free them from those by faith. Help them to find this place in your word that will build truth there. We pray that you would allow us to see you in Jesus' name. Amen.